Hello, this is Will, and this is Werewolf the Podcast. I can grant wishes in certain ways, but of course, always be careful what you ask for. There are lots of links to lots of different things down in the podcast descriptor. Please go take a look. You might like it. But here we go. Here's the story. No stillness or silence in nature is comparable to this that is dusted with ice and sugar. This, this sugared landscape in the night time. There is stillness, not a breath of wind and not a sign of life. I wander my way over the powder in a blissful state. As a wolf, this is my environment, my home. My true niche, and I can never get peace like this in any other part of the world. My feet are wide and evolved to compact the powder beneath them to stop me from sinking. My pelt, thick and warm against the cold. The only noises that come to my ears are those of this peaceful place and the sound the snow makes when crushed beneath me. As I walk I notice the sound of a snoring hare as it rests in the night. If I did not have other tasks to contend with, I would be very interested in finding that snore. I focus on the other audible sound now, the hiss of the fresh dropping flakes as they start to fill the sky, the noise is the clash of each ice crystal as they fall and their tiny explosive impacts on the soft, dusty surface. The fallen snow is now deep and fresh, with no snowbanks or drifts, as the air is still. As I trot through this deep, cold dust, I am at the centre of a grey bubble created by the snowfall. My footfalls are audible as squeaks and creaks as the pressure from my body weight compresses and compacts those beautiful, unique crystalline structures, ruining them and destroying their individuality as they are damaged and destroyed simply by my passing. Even at this seemingly insignificant level, I delight in the destruction of this uniqueness, which brings me a great pleasure that others would probably find as vile. I find it somewhat delectable myself. I am slowly journeying in this Disney snow globe environment for tonight's non-Disney pleasure. I am on the way to the yellow glow in the distance that denotes the venue of this evening's artistry. There's a sweet little farmhouse in the distance, and that is my total focus. It is all I see at this moment, even with my super-powered senses. It is a small, warm, yellow offering of light comfort for most on this cold and wintry evening discomfort for those within tonight i'm afraid as i trudge through the snow the excitement builds in me as the individual windows become visible the warmth and friendliness of the little home are what i seek now to meet the little family that lives all alone there in this isolated bliss. I look forward to meeting Roger and his beautiful wife Helen 
and the two little ones, John and Angus. They will be my players on tonight's stage, although this show is for one night only and will be a great Shakespearean tragedy for some. I feel my own warmth developing as I get closer and closer to the building. I hear and smell the fear building the sheep in the barn. They start to get skittish as I get closer. They bleat in their distress and that pleases me as the animal's discomfort builds at the sense of my presence. They sense me for what I truly am. The ultimate predator is somewhere out there in the night. The sheep do not interest me this evening though. I am looking for pleasure, not only for prey. At last, I can see into the windows ahead. Most are heavily curtained against the cold of the night, but a large window shows me the entire little family as they sit around the table. They're sharing a meal and the stories of their day. Roger is a big man. Maybe over six feet in height, maybe more, and broad across the shoulders. Perhaps he's in his forties and balding. He was happy and clad in a woolen jumper, hand-knitted by someone who made it with more love than talent. This heartwarming scene is disgusting to me. Life is not nice. Life is pain and hurt, and I will show them the way. Helen has long brown hair and a smile that the Mona Lisa would have been proud to have. She is a beautiful woman and she cooks around her boys as she dishes out food fresh from the oven onto their plates. Such a beautiful family having such a wonderful night. The boys are arguing over the roast potatoes. The unfairness of their distribution seems to have become an issue for them and the parents are smiling and laughing at the small war that the siblings pursue until dad gives them one of his own potatoes from his own plate to mollify the issue. My revulsion at this beautiful family picture and my hunger are both building. I really could eat. I stand in the snow looking at this perfect scene of a perfect family life and look forward to joining the meal as their guest. Well, a guest is pushing it. Joining them for dinner was probably enough. It was now my time to feed. As I got closer to the house, I made my way around to the door and at a hundred yards from it, I started to run. I increased my pace until I crashed through the door and into the dining hall. The family had no time to react before I was on them. I had taken down all of them before they could get their phones and get help. The two children were torn to pieces by my left and right claws as I passed them on my way to Daddy Dear. The poor boys had no chance to scream or shout out as their fairly shared potatoes were thrown all around me. As I continue over the table, I open my jaws and clash them together around Daddy's head, crushing it in one bite. The whole episode must have lasted a couple of seconds. The only person left is Mum. She stands frozen in the doorway between the kitchen and the dining room, her mouth opened, having dropped the pot she had in her hand, scattering the peas everywhere. I had met Mum, Helen, in the village over a week ago. 
She was grocery shopping and had stopped for her weekly treat of a vanilla latte at the new Starbucks that had popped up in the village at some point this year. I had passed her in the street that day and sniffed her arousal at my proximity. Her excitement excited me equally. I had stopped to watch her while looking at a local touristy crap selling shop. I was feigning interest in the badly painted Highland Coo pictures in the window and eyed her as she crossed the street and entered the coffee shop. She paused briefly at the door and accidentally made eye contact, to which I returned a wry smile. She entered the shop with a lingering look and I slowly made my way across the road and walked into the shop behind her. Supreme confidence oozed from my every pore. She was waiting in line for her turn to get a coffee. I joined the queue behind her and waited for an opportunity to start a conversation. Taking some loose change from my pocket, I dropped a few coins on the ground and then began to reach for them to pick them up. In so doing, I bumped Helen's legs and she turned and apologised and started to help me find the coins scattered on the ground. As her hair passed close, I sniffed it gently. She froze in that micro moment, her mind coalesced into taking action. She let her little inner beast make the decision. <laughs> After a few moments of fumbling about and giggling, we managed to collect the coins, and with a smile, she handed them back to me. It was a glorious smile. Her enjoyment and embarrassment were both evident in that brief moment. Her hand lingered a little too long on mine. Uh, thank you, uh, thank you very much, um, I said. Alex, she said, smoothing away a stray hair back into her bob. Really? Alex, I asked. Inside I reveled in that first delicate lie, the beauty of that first moment of succulence. Her human morals and ethics had been put to the test. The beast had raised its head before her, and she had taken its offer wholeheartedly. It snarled with delight and the satisfaction at her acceptance. At this beautiful lie given to me, I laughed openly and saw a look of confusion pass over her face. Why was I laughing? I could not give away the fact that it was due to the moment of sin, so I would have to find another reason for finding this amusing. That was my mother's name, I lied. She laughed and it slowly dropped away into an awkward silence. Well, um... Alex, I'm new to town and it would be nice to have some company and maybe some gossip about the locals, I laughed. She showed a little embarrassment and shyness as she smiled and looked briefly down to the ground. Oh, I couldn't possibly. It, it's fine, her voice dropped away as she spoke. Hi, she replied. Oh, oh, okay, sorry, I didn't realise you were, you know, married or seeing someone or something. My apologies. No problem. I hope you have a great day, Alex. I smiled looked at my watch and returned to queuing, while, not Alex, but Helen, turned her back towards me and started to queue. She stood awkwardly, and I could sense the beautiful conflict in her system. I could smell the hormonal system going to overdrive. In my mind, I counted down from ten. She turned to me with those darkly innocent eyes filled with a little naughtiness. At three... 
The beast was now evident in her. I could see its face flickering. She twiddled her wedding ring with her left hand around her finger and met my eyes. She smiled and did a little nervous shake of her head. Okay, I have about half an hour. I'm sure that'll be fine. Um, what's your name? My name's Ben, I lied. Pleased to meet you, Alex. We started chatting as we made our way to the front of the queue. She ordered a vanilla latte and I ordered my flat white. We took our drinks to the nearest empty table. So, Alex, what do you do in this little town? I acted with polite interest in the fact that she helped run a farm in the hills, a farm that had been in her family for over a hundred years. The first date was full of laughs, giggles and tactical body language. We sat at the table and looked into each other's eyes across the coffees. My body language was sprinkled with no meaning. It meant nothing. I sat across from her signifying my interest by leaning in and bringing my shoulders into parallel with hers. I would then tantalise her by taking my interest away by leaning back and turning my shoulders away from her. This meant that the mixture of signals kept her interested without frightening her or overdoing it. I enjoyed the pretense of smiling and laughing at hearing the village's gossip. She pointed out the key characters of the place and either made up the stories that she gave, or this was actually a fascinating place. We were getting on well. Stage two of rapport had been established. I needed the next moment to guarantee the next day. Then came that special moment. She reached out for the sugar. Not that a vanilla latte did not have enough. I noticed the movement of her hand and I made my move to pass her the required crystalline goodness. Our hands touched as we both reached out. There was a momentary spark as that initial physical contact happened. That was the deal sealed now. Now it was a gentle uphill trot to owning her soul. She looked at her watch and sighed. I have to go, Ben. I need to go back to work. No problem, I replied. My body language showed my obvious disappointment at her wanting to leave. I would have been a great actor if my artistic propensities had gone in that direction. Is there uh, any chance I can see you again, Alex? I completely understand if not, but I really hope that you can. You've been the highlight of my stay so far. For a moment, she sat and considered this situation. The conflict was evident in her. Ben, I have to tell you the truth. I'm married and I've got kids. She hid her eyes from mine. I let my eyes sink to the ground and offered her a sigh as though disappointed. After a few moments, I looked at her and smiled. Ah... <laughs> I understand then, Alex. No worries. I, I, I wouldn't want to cause any trouble. This has been lovely and it's been a great chat. She nodded. There was a little uncomfy time. A time where she mourned the loss of this opportunity. I smiled again and, and then made a dangerous claim. This, you know, may cause rejection and a rift, but the situation at this point required it. Okay, but... I mean, 
Coming for a coffee can't be a bad thing, can it? I promise I will not fall in love with you and that I will not try to steal you from your family. How about that? Again, she considered this and came to her conclusion quite quickly. Okay, Ben, I would really like to see you again. You, you must promise not to fall in love with me, though, she laughed. Don't worry, I laughed. I promise that's the last thing that I'm going to do. I told her this truthfully. She was again another step on the road to her own loss. She had stepped beyond her own boundaries of ethics and morality. It was another truly beautiful moment. We met the very next day at the very same time. I now had to start down the road to her failure and my ultimate gain. I mean, she wanted to ruin her life. She was bored with what she had. She wanted adventure and excitement and the thrill of the new. I was the one that could do that for her happily. I could grant that wish. I slowly managed to build her interest. I was now looking for her to validate herself. She needed to offer to try and make herself seem important. Normally they would do this naturally. Something as simple as her proving that she's good at something or another. When someone is trying to impress you, they respect you and see you as high value. You now have some power over them. I mean, it could be anything that she was trying to impress me with. It could be something as shit as she had done a 25 yards breaststroke certificate. It did not come though. So I had to go to an old tried and tested method. I asked her to describe her best qualities as a person. The lovely thing about this method is we get some idea of what type of person they are. She told me she was loyal, hard-working and a perfectionist. When I pushed her harder for more details, I got some reasons for these choices, but these didn't really matter anymore. Just in the act of defining herself, she had validated herself to me and in doing so, had tried to prove her value. She was now seeking my approval of her choices, which I gave her. She had again taken another step to be mine. Try it in your daily manipulations of people. I increased the general touching as we talked after that. I had started with short and infrequent touches of her upper arm, working my way to more prolonged touches of a more personal nature around the wrists. The test here was to get her to reciprocate that touch. As soon as she touched me, landing in the friend zone was no danger. Yes, it's that easy. If the person starts to touch you back, it means an element of physical intimacy. I becry you idiots that moan about the friend zone. All you have to do is establish the touch system to get out of that friend zone. Then I had to prepare myself for the next set of tests that women try on males when they are interviewing for the ultimate position. The first test in England is called the WIMP test. I suppose it would be something different like the pussy test in America. Although I never understood why the pussy is the ultimate weak thing. I mean, that thing can take a heck of a pounding and not complain. While dicks are weak-minded and limp at a moment's notice. Anywho, 
Getting back to the point of my writing, the WIMP test is where she gives you instructions to see if you will just follow them blindly. It is a test of your status and of your neediness. If you follow these instructions blindly at the beginning of your relationship, it shows you are weak-willed and of low status. The tests are little things like, can you pass me my drink, when she can easily reach it herself. In fact, it may be that you have to make more effort than she does to get that drink. You have to be careful at this point. You can't just tell her to fuck off and get it herself. If the request seems genuine, it's okay to do so. But make sure there is no proviso. So you will pass her the drink as long as you get a kiss. Or point out that she can reach it and laugh. The next test is the take the piss test. She will be purposefully rude to you in an effort to try and see if she can hurt your feelings easily. She's not going to say anything too devastating or obnoxious. She will just push you a little to gauge how you react. It may be as simple as your jacket does not go with your outfit or you look better when you shave. The wrong thing to do is become a pouty princess in response. The best answer is just either to ignore it or laugh it off. She is looking to see if she can directly affect your confidence. She is trying to see how easily that confidence can be damaged. Again, a test of your value. These tests are so fucking easy to spot once you realise what they are. They will stop once she is satisfied with your responses. If the take the piss test keeps coming and starts to get a bit annoying to you, then you pick her up on it. She's unlikely to even know she's doing it, and it will make her feel uncomfy that she's doing the testing. If she keeps doing it after that, then she's a bit of a bitch, so I would tell her to fuck off at that point. She's not worth it. We met each day for coffee and a chat for the next few days. The conversation was about forming attachment and we soon went from a state of early bantering to deep rapport. I used my favourite techniques. God, she was pathetic. I mean, she sat there and told me about life on the moor with the kids. How it was the same day every day she spent with her boring husband who spent more attention on his sheep than on her and the kids. Let us just say that her satisfaction was not guaranteed. I teased her and led her into the world of nonsense that I pretended was my life. She ate it up. A lawyer taking a break in the great highlands of scotland and all that shit eventually i got her back to my hotel i could not stand any more of that awful starbucks coffee and gave her what she really needed she needed some adventure in her life she needed some time spent on her and she needed some good sex it was all going so well. She had never been with another man but hers, but she leapt in with both hands. Four hours of sex, and she was up and down for anything. I mean, anything. In fact, she took the lead with some of the filth, and I was surprised. She'd obviously been watching a lot of porn. 
a lot of porn. The problem was after she came, she played the crying game. The guilt, the hurt, the pain came pouring out of her. How she was an awful person for cheating on her family. It was so fucking annoying. I got so bored with her but tried to play the lovely person card. I managed to get her bundled up and out of the door and back in the car and fucked her off. It had been fun but now it would be more fun. It was the end of her fun. If she was as miserable as she seemed I would be doing her a huge favour by ending that misery. I would be answering her wish. She obviously did not have the guts to do anything about her excuse for a life. So I was here this winter night to help her out. So here I was, in her home. There was a werewolf in the middle of the dining room. Her kids and husband died before the peas hit the floor. She raised her hands to her mouth and screamed a wail that would set the edge to her blade. She collapsed to the floor as internally she lost the ability to stand and she slumped against the wall covering her head and eyes as I turned my body towards hers. I stood in silence as she stopped breathing for a moment while her body tried to react to what had just happened. Before I did anything else, I waited for her to remove her hands from her eyes. I wanted her to see the next few moments as the wolf became the man. I changed before her as she watched. She sat in stunned silence as she saw the change and then the look of recognition at who I was. I crouched down to the woman on the floor and reached out for her with my hand. She still did not speak or move. She just sat and stared. I stood before her naked and smiling. Hey, Alex, how are you doing? I listened to you the other day and thought I would rescue you like the princess that you are. See, you are now free. No more man, no more kids. You're free. She looked away from me for the first time at the destruction of the room. The kids were, well... In bits, to be honest, they had stood no chance against my charge into the room. Her man sat still in his seat. His neck was torn out of the front. His lovely knitted jumper was now stained red and glistening. No, 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 she moaned. Yes, Alex, this is, this is what you wanted. Is this not what you wanted? You wanted your freedom. You were bored. And cheating on your family. I have done you a favour by not making you have to make that choice. But remember, always be careful about what you wish for. Because you might just get it. I leaned forward and kissed her on the forehead as I changed back to my wolf in front of her. I gave her one last look. I had destroyed her soul. It had been her choice. It was what she told me she wanted. Unless, of course, Alex, sorry, Helen, was a liar. I often wondered what happened to her after this night. I hope she moved to Ibiza and lived the crazy life which she wished for. Probably not, though. I turned, went to the door, and disappeared once more into that snowy night. 
a little more art had been created in my life. That's the end of the episode. As I say, be careful what you wish for. You might just get it. Thanks for listening. Love you. Bye.